Today we're talking about the difference between the two greats in our faith. One is the great commandment, one is the great commission. I was reintroduced to the great commandment in a pretty dramatic way. Uh, when I went to seminary, I was in a church in Nicholasville, Kentucky, and one of my fellow seminary students and friends was preaching, guest preaching that day at church. He had a real heart for missions, what most people call missions. He had a real heart for the downtrodden, the poor, the, the people who needed the most help. We had just opened a new wing, a contemporary wing for the contemporary worship, and it was a gorgeous setting because it had a row of windows from floor to ceiling, all the way down one wall. And, and you could look out over the, the city of Nicholasville, which is about like the city of Fulcher right here before all that started. Anyway, you get the idea, right? It was not the most well-kept uh, area that we looked out on. It was kind of run down, downtown, uh, some poor rental houses off to the side. And I remember him preaching about how we needed to be able to take care of the poor. And I distinctly remember when he walked off the stage, he walked over to the windows and he said, if we're going to call ourselves Jesus followers, we are commanded to love these people. How can we not love these people? This is who Jesus is calling us to love as much as we love each other. Touche, man. Well played. Great visual aid. It's going to stick with people. And the whole point he was making was we were talking about a ministry at that church called Manna Meals. Manna Meals was supposed to be every Saturday we opened up the industrial kitchen that they built at that church and we would serve a hot meal to anybody who wanted a hot meal. We weren't checking them, you know, social security status. We weren't checking any of that. We just said basically if you're hungry, come on in. We've got food. We've got people that can do this. They're great chefs. They can make something out of nothing. And every Saturday, we begin to feed these people. Why was it so important for my friend to raise the Great Commandment? Because there was an almost majority in that church that didn't want those people in our new contemporary worship space. See, because it was brand new. We had these chairs just like we have here, except they were literally brand new. I mean, we had just taken the shrink wrap off of them two weeks prior. And some people didn't want those people sitting in those chairs that they would sit in on Sunday. It's a tough, tough thing to solve. But Sean's point was, we don't have a choice. We are commanded. It's not an option. We are commanded to love these people. And what these people need most right now is a hot meal and maybe a place to sit down. And so they, the, the church, to their credit, did a wonderful job. They, they served this meal. They used real silverware. They, they made it look like something that you would go in and, and sit down at a family restaurant and had round tables. So they would sit people in groups. And it was nice. It was really nice. And then about three weeks after we got into that, another seminary student was preaching. It was not me. Uh, and he said, I get that we need to love our neighbor like ourselves. I get that we need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. But as these people are coming in and they're being physically fed, how are we spiritually feeding them? See, that's the Great Commission, is it not? We're commanded to love them, but if that's all we do, when do they ever hear the good news? When do they ever get a chance to invite Christ into their life? When do they get to experience the transformative power that Christ brings? All they, other, all they get is, is a full belly and maybe a little relief from the cold. But they don't get Christ. 
And so began the next iteration. This is, this is how ministry works, if you haven't figured this out. There's a thing, there's an objection, we figure out how to get over that. Then there's another thing, there's an objection, we figure out how to get over that. And generally it's a guiding of the Holy Spirit that does it. And in this case, it was beautiful. Because we did two things. At each table, each round table, we assigned someone to be the table leader. That sounds intimidating. All we asked them to do was to strike up conversations with people. And then we put cards uh, that, that sat on the table in those little uh, plastic holders. We don't have one here, but you know those little plastic holders like hold a piece of paper, right? And we just asked the question, what do you know about Jesus? Or how is it with your soul today? Or something like that. It was a conversation starter. And the table's, table leader's job was to start that spiritual conversation and, and kind of keep the conversation going. Not to be the Bible answer person. We didn't ask him to know everything there ever was to know. How many people know everything there ever is to know about God? My hand's not up either, right? That's not the point. The point is, it was just to start a conversation, and in some cases, try to invite them into different aspects of our church lives so they could experience that good news. And we had some success. Some would come in. Sadly, I think we didn't get as many stick as we could because when they did come on Sunday and everybody else was dressed up and they weren't because they couldn't, they felt out of place. That wasn't true. I knew the hearts of the people. I knew that they would welcome them in, but it was on them. They said, no, we don't feel right here. So how do you balance it? This is the question of the day. How do you balance this command that I must love God and neighbor and I must share the good news, teach, baptize, help them to obey the things that Christ taught us to obey? Because here's what I found in my, my church experience. Churches and individuals are either good at one or the other, but seldom both. And here's what that looks like. If we're really good at the great commandment, I gotta love God, I gotta love neighbor, then we'll serve and we'll do it to great lengths. So we'll serve the food, we'll serve uh, whatever you can think of, uh, build the houses, we'll serve out in the community, and we'll do that right up until we run out of juice. Or money and we'll get frustrated because those people just can't seem to get it together we keep helping those people and they don't seem to get it together has anybody been in this situation or am I just making this up I've seen this in churches right so we, we can't just continue to love people because here's the other thing that that does by itself it can doesn't always but it can enable people why would I worry about that next meal if I know it's coming my way? This, this is on the mindset I met at the people at Nicholasville because I had conversations with them. And uh, when we tried to go to that next level of, hey, what if we did uh, GED? Uh, what if we did um, resumes? How to put a resume together? What if we found a, a group, uh, a network of businesses in Nicholasville that would be willing to hire these people and we can make the introductions? And you know what I found? When it came time for food, numbers were up here. When it came time for conversation, numbers kind of drifted here, unfortunately. When it came time for resumes, the numbers were down here. Now, I don't know that that's always true, and I don't want to make a stereotype that this is always the case. It was in this case. All I'm saying is that 
If we just continually love but never invite him into the greatest story ever told, we can actually enable a poor situation, which is not our intent. It's not Jesus' intent either, by the way. So some are really good at the love, but they forget to tell the story. Others are really good at telling the story, but they forget the love. This is the right between the eyes. Like, hey, uh, you know where you're going to be if you die tonight? That's a pretty impactful question, right? And, and it's true, you got to hear the good news and you got to accept Jesus and all that stuff, but where's the love? To quote St. Tina, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> I am on a roll, folks. There's more coming. Just hang on. <laughs> but we have to be able to do both. And so what I want to do today is, is look at a scripture that's going to talk to how the master did it, because Jesus was the best at this. Jesus knew how to love people, and Jesus knew how to bring the good news all at the same time. And the results were fantastic. Literally changed the world. I mean, we're still talking about it today, 2,000 plus years later. So we're going to dive into Mark, or excuse me, um, Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38, if you want to follow along. And to set the stage here, this is the height of Jesus' ministry. He is out, he is preaching in the countryside, he's healing all kinds of people, uh, starting to gain fame, there are crowds that are starting to follow him. And I just want you to read, uh, or I want you to hear the two things here that you're going to hear in this passage. One thing that you're going to hear is that great commandment, to love. The other thing that you're going to hear is that great commission, to teach, to baptize, to spread the good news. So listen to how Jesus did it. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Did you catch the difference between the mission and the commission? The commandment and the, the great commission? Let, let's walk through uh, verse by verse here for just a second, because I want to point out some things. Jesus starts in this passage all about spreading the good news. Look at these, these the scriptures. He's teaching, he's preaching, he's healing. He's out there spreading the good news. And here's something that you might have missed. Let me make sure I, I, I... Yeah, I want to make sure it's actually up there before I said it. So he went through all the towns and villages teaching where? Who goes to synagogue? Only the Jewish people, right? So some people say, oh, you know, Jesus was anti-Jew. Do you realize Jesus was Jewish? <laughs> that's where this whole thing started. And that's where he begins to teach because he's coming to save the lost, some of which are the people of Israel. And that ministry is going to expand it into the Gentiles later. But he starts in the synagogue, and he starts with the good news, the Great Commission. But here's how he does better than, than most, because he also incorporates this other aspect. It's not just the good news. It's about the love. Here's how this reads, then. If you look at the next part. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
It's compassion that's driving Jesus preaching, teaching, and healing. It's compassion for the poor that makes him want to go out and share with them a way that will bring them into that ministry of reconciliation that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, to, to bring everybody back together as one. It's, it's his heart for these people that's doing that. And what I will tell us, this is no, no great news flash to words here. We've been in the, the word and the serve business for you know, 13 years. But if we serve people and we fail to love like Jesus loves, it's going to be very difficult. It's going to be very hard. It's going to raise a slew of emotions that you don't want anything to do with. And then that becomes your story. It's not the good news we're preaching at that point. It's the grumpy news. So we have to be able to balance this service and this love, this commission and this commandment at all times. Jesus is the one who does it the best because when he sees them, they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion. Now, let me pause on this for just a second because this is significant, especially to me and to you, but especially to me. Jesus' chief problem with these people who were in the synagogues where they were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, who, is, who are the leaders of the people of Israel? religious leaders, the Pharisees, those would be the shepherds. So why are the people harassed and helpless like they don't have shepherds? It's because the leaders have fallen down on their job. They weren't helping these people. They were hurting these people because they were all about the law, but not about the love. See, it, it, it goes both ways. And why is that significant to me? Because uh, in, in modern parlance, uh, I, I'm a shepherd. I hope I'm not a Pharisee. But I'm a shepherd. I have a responsibility. That's a pretty heavy responsibility. I, I want to help you people not be harassed and helpless. But here's the, the greater thing. As we continue to read on, and this is why it's important to you, he says to he's talking to his disciples, Jesus talking to his disciples when he says this, he says, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now, what do you know about the disciples? What kind of people are we talking about? Pretty common folk. We're not talking the road scholars. We're not talking Pharisees. We're talking fishermen, tax collectors, zealot, just for good measure, that kind of thing. So he's saying to them, you pray that the Lord of the harvest sends, what? Pharisees? Shepherds? Leaders, workers. Well, who are workers? We are workers. And that's the point Jesus is making. This isn't a fix by reestablishing some hierarchy. This is a fix by making disciples, who then make disciples. This is about us being able to balance the commandment and the commission together. It's not easy. It's simple. I mean, it sounds simple to say that, but it is not easy to live out. And it is best done in community. That's the one thing I found. When I felt like I was on track with God and I was balancing the commandment and the commission the best, it's when I was in a larger group of people, whether that was a church or a small group or some other organization. And when I've gotten it wrong, the, the wrongest, is that a word? No? 
It is now. All right. <laughs> I've gotten it the wrongest, <laughs> most wrong. It's been me because I've been trying to do it all myself out of duty and I get burned out. Or I've been trying to love and I've actually loved someone into a worse situation. Now, I know that this might seem a little weird and, and hard to understand, but I do have some practical steps and a high-tech demo. Stay tuned. All right. I know you're excited. Here's what we need to do to, to, to try to balance this commission and this commandment. The first thing is to get to know Jesus. We can't know his heart, and we can't know what's been done for us if we don't know Jesus. There's a million ways that you can do this. You can read scripture. You can join a community group that starts in a couple of weeks. You can pray. You can contemplate. You can meditate. All these things that get us to know this greatest story ever told. And by the way, if you think the story of Jesus is just in these four books called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we've missed the bigger picture. How much of this book is about Jesus? All of it, right? Yeah, that's a typical Sunday school message. What's this book about? Jesus. There you go. You got it. All right. So that's what this is all about, getting to know Jesus. Because once we know Jesus, I don't, I'm not saying know everything about him. I'm saying get to know his heart. Get to know his story, what he's done for us. And what we do will not be a duty, it will be a response to what's been done for us. In a good way. So the first step is to get to know Jesus. The second one is to look like Jesus. Now, there's, there's a subtlety here. There are layers to this one, all right? I'm not saying wear a white robe and grow a beard. Good luck, ladies. Um, I'm not here to judge. Anyway. Uh, I'm not saying dress like him. I'm not saying talk like in King James English. I'm not none of that. What I'm what I mean is, look with our eyes like Jesus would look with his eyes. When you see that situation, how would Jesus see that? What would that prompt Jesus to do? And oh, by the way, when we look through his eyes, then our actions look more like him, and that's the leader. So if we we'll look through Jesus' eyes, we'll start to look like Jesus to the world. By the way, that is one of the best ways to share the good news. Words or not, doesn't matter. If you look like Jesus and people recognize Jesus in you, that is a powerful, powerful testimony. Probably the best one. The most contagious. The latest strain of discipleship. Okay, we'll get off that. All right. So we've got to get to know Jesus. We want to look like Jesus. And then this is the hardest part maybe for most is to help others get to know Jesus. I get it. It's not easy to walk up to someone and say the J word, right? It's not easy to talk about our faith to people that we don't know that may ostracize us, may push us out of their little circle, may not invite us to that next party. I get it. But how else are we going to reconcile this world? How else is this going to work? Once they get to know Jesus, then they experience all that same stuff that we experience. We can't be hoarders when it comes to Jesus. So, time for the high-tech demo. I am going to need one assistant. Is there a volunteer that would be willing to hold a PVC pipe? It's pretty challenging. Uh, I'm not going to ask you any questions. I'm not going to ask you to juggle yet. Any volunteers? Jim, you're the man. Jim also runs sound, so if I go out during the middle of all this, somebody jump on that iPad. All right, so Jim is here. I'm going to ask him just to hold that pipe right there. Beautiful. 
Jim is an upstanding young man. He knows. I'm telling a story here. <laughs> He's an upstanding young man of Christ. And uh, he does the right thing almost always. He is in love with Christ. He knows all about Christ. And he sees someone that could use some Christ. This person. Oh, that would be me. So Jim decides to extend some love. This is love. It looks like a rope. I get it. So here I am wobbling, wandered, scattered like a sheep, helpless. Jim throws the lasso of love and says, Hell, let me, let me stabilize you. All right, let me bring you back. And if Jim does this well, maybe he starts to draw me in a little bit. And, and I get more stable and I experience what it is to be loved. But here's the challenge in all this. Jim, as good as he is, Jim is human. And so Jim's grasp sometimes slips. And when that happens, I go back to wobbling. And Jim goes, hmm, either I try again or well, what the heck. So Jim tries again, except now I've fallen. Jim's love doesn't reach far enough. Have you ever experienced this? I'm willing to help someone if they just want to talk. Uh, maybe they're just having a little trouble at work, a little relationship trouble. But man, you start in with addiction. Uh, severe disease, really, really broken home, abuse. I don't know if I've got enough love to handle that. So what do we do? We just forget about it? Say good luck or refer them to professional services? It's one way to do it. But here's another way to do it. This is where it gets technical. Jim was using Jim's love. If Jim loves God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that love of God flows through Jim, and Jim reaches out with God's love, God has a different definition of how much is too much. God has different reservoirs than I do. And God has a lot And so, if I fall, there's enough love to handle that. There's enough love to draw me back in. And so what I, he can do is begin to, to use the love of God to draw me back in. What an excellent man. You're doing that perfect. That's awesome. <laughs> we didn't rehearse this or anything. This is awesome. Right? And God won't let go. So there's always enough love. The challenge is, though, if you've ever been this conduit, and you continue to do the same thing over and over, that humanness gets in there. Because I don't know if you can hear the grating. It just grates on you after a while. Why don't these people get it together? How come there's always these people? See, that's love. And even though it's God's love and it has a greater reach, it still can wear on you. Maybe this has just been my experience. You haven't experienced that because you're a holier person than I am. But I'm telling you, even doing it right, sometimes if it's this relationship, it can wear on you, and you need a break once in a while, and that's okay. But there's another way. See, because so far I've been talking about the great commandment. We have to love God with all our heart, mind, and strength. We have to love neighbor as ourselves. At what point do I share this good news? Because here's what happens when the good news enters into the equation. This is no longer necessary. They've been set free. They experience the love of God flowing through them. 
and a powerful thing starts to happen. Watch this. As they begin to love God, their life gets turned upside down. And as Jim <laughs> continues to love God, and we both love God, look what starts to happen naturally. We are brought together, we are reconciled, and we are aligned. And there is nothing that can knock us off course that we can't recover from. That's why the commission is so important. Because until we get to that point, it's a series of ups and downs and ups and downs. And by the way, you're still going to have ups and downs with this. But check out the ups and downs. And we're together in it. That's the body of Christ. That's the commandment and the commission together. So it's not, thank you, Jim, I appreciate you. <laughs> How about a hand for Jim? That was awesome. If you would like this demonstrator model, it will be available at wordsor.org slash <laughs>
God, I pray that they would see a glimpse of you, like your Holy Spirit opens their hearts and they can see new pieces of you that they've never experienced before and experience that great and unending love. God, I pray that you would put on our hearts the people around us. You would give us your eyes to see them as you would see them. And then give us the actions to do that we would look more like Christ as we interact with this, those people. And God, I also pray then that as we go out into this world, we would be telling the greatest story ever told. That we would not shy away from the good news, the preaching and teaching of the word. But at the same time, we would not lose that first love. Your love. In and through us. I pray this in Jesus' name.